There are lots of questions surrounding the Seahawks as we continue through this offseason, and we've been fortunate to bandy some of them about with our wonderful guests. But we want to know what's on your minds as OTAs kick off and we get closer to the start of another exciting season. It's the first Cigar Thoughts mailbag of 2023. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my somnambulant producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Good Lord, what a word. Uh, we're doing well, Jackson. How are you? Jesus, I feel like I've just been thrown for a loop. I feel like I'm, I'm pretty like adaptive to, to these descriptors that you throw down, but God damn, man, that, wow, put me in the spin cycle. Jeez. Well, <laughs> hey, man, you know, that's that's going to be kind of the theme for this show because uh, we're letting the viewers decide how this go. We're letting the listeners drive the boat today. We got some amazing questions coming in for our mailbag episode. I haven't even seen most of them, so we're going to be reacting in real time as they happen. And we are lucky to have been joined by some incredible guests on the show. But I got to say, man, I get excited about episodes like this. Because at the end of the day, Mike, are we heroes? Maybe. I mean, who are we to say? Is the answer to that question yes? Probably. Probably. But more than anything, more than anything, Mike, we are men of the people. That's right. We want to hear what the people are thinking about. That's right. We do and we will. Yes, we will. But before we get to that, I want to remind everyone listening that the official Cigar Thoughts cigars are now available for purchase at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Direct links to order them will be in the notes of this show page as well, so feel free to click that from whichever platform you're listening on. These cigars, as you know by now, are made from a blend of premier Dominican tobacco leaf that has been aged 13 years and are available to Cigar Thoughts listeners for less than half of their normal MSRP. Do it for yourself, and do it to help support the show. The delivery is speedy, and the feedback has been incredible. We've had multiple people tell us they're the most enjoyable cigars they've ever had. So if you're looking to level up that experience, you won't find a better dollar-for-dollar dollar return than these stogies. We've also launched our YouTube channel where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show. This is one of the best ways you can support Cigar Thoughts, so we're grateful for the few seconds it'll take for you to subscribe. And now, Mike, let's answer some gosh dang questions. Pardon my language. You know, I normally find you and everything that you do and say morally reprehensible, but yeah, yeah, that's a little too far. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's jump right into it, Jackson. I love so it. we we put out a call for questions uh, to our followers on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, they have come through for us in a big way. They so always do. They they always do. So let's get this train rolling. Uh, we'll start out uh, with a question from at King David K One. They asked. Even after the selfie tour, why do you think the Hawks passed on trading up for a quarterback and drafting one entirely? What is the plan at QB then? Man, that is a hell of a question to kick this show off with. Okay, so my thoughts are, and and those who have been listening, no, I was pro the right quarterback. Uh, you know, I'm I'm perfectly comfortable moving forward with Geno as the guy, have been for a long time, and it's clear that the team is too. I think that when Anthony Richardson went off the board, it became a Devin Witherspoon draft for them. Um, I think if Richardson was still there or for some reason 
Young or Stroud had slipped to five, I think that's a much, much more difficult uh, decision for them. I, I don't think the selfie tour with the quarterbacks was a smokescreen. I do think once you do it with one of them, you got to do it with all of them just to kind of keep the charade going. But Diversify I think Anthony portfolio. Richardson, yeah, that's exactly it, man. I think if Richardson was there at five, they are thinking really, really hard about it. Now, the fact that they didn't take another quarterback um, later in the draft a little bit surprising. Um, I, I do think the way that they handled the first two days of the draft kind of painted them into a little bit of a corner in terms of attacking the trenches and all of that. But I also do think Pete Carroll likes Drew Locke. I think it truly was an open competition last year. And I think they're comfortable uh, with him as backup if something were to happen with Gino. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, when Richardson went off the board, the writing was on the wall at that point. I think that they were infatuated with him as well as yours truly and yourself. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of them not drafting a quarterback at all, the popular name was Hendon Hooker. I think that mm-hmm. we talked about Dane Brugler mocking him to Seattle uh, with that first second round pick. Uh, and Seattle had a chance to draft him again at 52 and instead they took a running back. <laughs> And then the, mm-hmm. the, about uh, 15 or 16 picks later, he ended up going to Detroit. So, I mean, the timeline, you sign Gino to that deal. They're building around Gino. I think that the future is clearly a bit murky uh, with that piece of the puzzle lacking down the line. But they're building around the here and now. And I don't have a problem with that because doubling up on that investment uh, financially is a tough look. Yeah, I think you I think you have to be pretty smitten with the quarterback to do that. And and again, you know, Richardson having been the most realistic option, I think, um, potentially for Seattle at five. Okay, yeah, he's the type of quarterback that you don't have to think too hard about maybe sitting for a year uh and and letting Gino get paid this year and do his thing and then make a decision next year. But after that tier you know, if you don't love Will Levis, if you don't love Hendon Hooker and like see real quarterback of the future potential in those guys, I don't know that there was anyone in this draft that's markedly better than Drew Locke. And so, you know, you extended Drew Locke this offseason and he's liked by that coaching staff and liked by that team and is familiar with the offense. And, you know, that's, I, I, I think they're set there, you know, and, and it wouldn't matter who you have behind those two guys. If if both Geno Smith and Drew Locke go down, they're not doing anything this year anyway. So, yeah, I think once you get past that true franchise quarterback tier in this class, doesn't bug me too much. Yeah, me neither. I think that uh, maybe this is just the, the Pac-12 Stockholm Syndrome talking, but maybe somebody like Dorian Thompson-Robinson in the fifth mm-hmm. round uh, could have been fun, but I'm not broken up about any of it. So we move. Exactly. Yeah, we moved, baby. That you know, and and I actually really like that. He was someone I did have him on my radar, and he's someone that we discussed briefly when we had Derek Klassen on talking about some of the QB prospects. Uh, he was a guy, like I say, on my radar. But you know, if they had used that pick on him instead of you know as a Jarek Reed or or I can't remember if he's still on the board with Kenny Macintosh was there, yeah. I totally get it. But you know, ultimately, I feel really good about their draft, and you know. When after 2024, they are going to have some decisions to make. They're probably not going to be drafting super high. Uh, so maybe they can trick another team into giving you know, them one of their top picks. But 
it it may be competing on the open free agent market for the quarterback after Geno. So let's move on to another question uh, that centers on the quarterback discourse. Uh, this is from fan, at Thanos Nix. Uh, sorry about uh, sorry about your knickerbockers, my friend. That was a, <laughs> that was a tough look, but everybody's taking L's from Jimmy Butler. So what can you say? Uh, God, I love Jimmy Butler. <laughs> Agree. Agree. So the question is, completely hypothetically, let's say that we plug Russ into the Seahawks last year, still have Charles Cross, Abe Lucas, etc., all the draft picks and whatnot. Does he put up better stats slash play better than Geno did? Whoa. So you... The Seahawks have Russ, but they also have everything they got All in of the, the infrastructure trade. that they received from the Russ trade. Yep. Man. Um, I tell you what. Russ would have been a lot better than he was in Denver. Yep. Um, you know, I, I do think some of his struggles were circumstantial. Um, I think he had a coach that was overmatched. I, I think that they had a lot of issues up front. Um, and the vibes, the vibes started off bad and, you know, yeah, I think he would have been better. Would he have been as good as Geno? I mean, Geno was the top six quarterback in the NFL last year. Certainly top eight. I, I don't I know, man. No. I, I, I think the I think, answer is I think no. probably no. Because yeah. the the areas of Geno's game where he really excelled uh, relative to Russ, where it's it's so tired talking about it, but it's like, you know, hitting that that mid-range, you know, like hitting mm-hmm. those digs. Like we saw on film Russ just staring down Cortland Sutton running in that intermediate area and just not pulling the trigger. And on the flip side, the part of Russell's game that he has been so elite at for so long is deep passing. And mm-hmm. I think that Gino exceeded every single expectation that we could have and did have for him in that area. So... I don't know, man. I, I I really think I agree with you that Russ would have been better than he was in Denver with that uh, coaching situation and all of the drama and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure he would have been as uh, solid as Gino. But I can tell you that on the trip to Munich, he would have done a lot more high knees. So. <laughs> yeah, agree there. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, this one comes in from Tall Glass of Charbonnet at Sportal Fantasy. Love it. Which current Seahawk would you most like to have in the cigar lounge to chop it up? Oh, man. I'm going to have to okay. bonk you over the head on this one. Oh, baby. Um, top of my head, there's three that jump out. And that is DK Metcalf, Quandre Diggs, and Bobby Wagner. How about you? I would say I feel like it would be really cool to have uh, Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant in at the same time. You that know, would be they fun. seem like they really vibe with one another. Uh-huh. I also uh, have heard that Colby Parkinson is a big cigar guy. So I was no. just going to say, man, I've, I've, I've smoked cigars with Colby and he is a great hang. Love, love, love to get that guy in the lounge for sure. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Hustle Chilson. Coming in. Uh, what up, Hustle Chilson? What's going Good on? Good follow on Twitter. Were you guys surprised that offensive coaching weapons Shane Waldron and Nate Carroll weren't hired away by other teams this offseason? <laughs> Emphasis Nate Carroll, on Nate Carroll. <laughs> yeah, the Nate Carroll one is funny. Um, but Waldron, I, I think that's going to be a thing. Um, 
I don't know that last year was enough to like really put him on the radar. Like the Seahawks offense was good and, and certainly very good relative to expectations. But I think if he does it again, if the Seahawks have a top eight offense this year, top 10 offense this year, it's going to, it's going to be a thing. I mean, he's, he's young coaching hires are trending young in the NFL right now. And I think, what is he? 42. So McVeigh tree. Yeah, exactly. And and the McVeigh tree has had success in the NFL. You know, I mean, his assistant coaches have already wildly outperformed all of Belichick's in terms <laughs> yeah. of NFL. The bar is low uh, there. The bar. That's is low there. that's true. That's very but, true. But point taken. Yeah. So I, I, I honestly hadn't thought about it prior to this question, but in retrospect, I guess I am a little surprised he wasn't at least getting interviews. I think there was some buzz around it. Guess we should keep in mind that the two-year sample of Shane Waldron in Seattle, the first uh, year was Russell's last in Seattle and dealing with that injury and everything that came with that. So um, while he was clearly a huge part of Geno stepping up and becoming a Pro Bowl quarterback in his first year starting in, uh, in several, several years, I think teams want to see that sample grow a little more and see if it's repeatable before taking that gamble. So, yeah, if if they're cooking this year similarly or even more so uh, than they were last season, then I think that buzz will light up even more. Yeah, totally. And I, I think this is a good reminder about something that we've talked about on this show a couple of times when it comes to, you know, you see a coordinator have a lot of success and you know, maybe they go on and struggle as a head coach or they don't get the uh, interview opportunities or whatever as a head coach. It is important to understand the difference between running an offense or running a defense and running an NFL franchise. I mean, these are, if they were publicly traded. I mean, these are Fortune 500 companies. And what Pete Carroll does, what the really good head coaches do, extends so far beyond what happens on Sunday. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's the difference between being a really good salesman and being the CEO between being the accountant and being the CFO, like just because you're really good at one thing doesn't necessarily qualify you to run the whole operation and the whole operation at the NFL level is insane. I mean, we've seen so many really successful coordinators. I don't know why Jim Schwartz is the first one to jump to mind, but Josh McDaniels, another one, right? You see it all the time. Matt Patricia. Um, there's a lot of guys who were very successful as coordinators when all they had to do was focus on that side of the ball and could really stick to X's and O's and personnel and grinding the tape and, and strategizing that in the grand scheme ends up being a much smaller piece of the head coach puzzle. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see what kind of chops the league sees a guy like Shane Waldron having uh, when it comes to running a team. Because some guys step in and and they're awesome. You know, Zach Taylor's done an amazing job in Cincinnati. I think Robert Sala is going to be a great coach uh, with the Jets now that he's got a quarterback. You know, some people, I think D'Amico Ryans is going to be really good for the Texans. But those are, you know, going from, from coordinator to head coach is a miss more often than it's a hit. And I think it's why you see so many retreads at the coaching level, because if you're an owner 
and you've got a $5 billion franchise, you want the person running that to have some experience. Let's move on to a question from Instagram from Dom Biscaray. Hey, what up, Dom? Dom asks, what's the baseline for a successful 2023 season for D. Eskridge? D. Eskridge discourse. D. Eskridge discourse. And and Dom suggests that uh, he would take 500 yards and four teeters. That'd be a great season. I agree. That'd be a great season. I agree. What what would the hallmarks of a successful season for D. Eskridge look like in your eyes? You know, I I think the ship has sailed on him justifying his draft slot. So it comes down to how we frame it. Is is he ever going to be worth pick number 52, I believe, is what he was, or 56? I just don't see it. I mean, he's at best fourth on the pecking order now. Well, that's exactly it. The The paradigm has totally shifted. He you just drafted him to be the number three, and now you hope that he can be a high-end number four. Yeah, and it, it, it sucks that you know, the back of his Jersey may as well read not Creed Humphreys, you know, like that's, that's the thing, right? Like it was, that's what he had to outperform. And then you get the injuries and he was old to start with. I mean, he was a 24 year old draft pick. Um, but if you remove the draft expectations and just like, did he help this team win games? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's less about his total yardage as it is. Did he make some plays that help you win games, right? Marquise Goodwin um, is a good example of a guy who had a couple of really good performances in spots where he needed to, and it helped the team win. That's that's kind of what it is. If he, if he has a big third and 14 conversion on a drive that ends up leading to a game-winning field goal, um, you know, if, if he returns a punt to set up a crucial score, like that – that's how he has a successful season. You know, in terms of justifying being a second round pick, it's it's hard to imagine that happening. Yeah, I, I think that what I'm looking for is how the target share evolves throughout the year because with uh, JSN coming into the fold, there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for him no. like there was, at least the way that coaches wanted to insert him into the offense, you know, like running gadget plays. Maybe those are still there, but... Um, I think I'm looking for uh, just the way that he is, the way that they're trying to stress a defense with his usage and if that is actually successful. If his yards per completion is above a certain amount because the whole idea was that he could be a deep threat, you know, or like run those like deep intermediate crossers and just like leave man coverage in the dust. Um, Yeah, you you just want to be multiple on offense and if he can provide a little extra oomph from the wide receiver position then if he's a net positive then that's great um i don't think that he needs to necessarily reach 500 yards and four tutties to have it that, be successful i mean that him, would be but but that would yeah, be that, like that would be ideal great. ideal but you know what if he's getting 500 yards it probably means one of the top three wide receivers got hurt i was so, gonna say that exact that exact thing as well i, like, I think the opportunity aside. cost of him yeah if if he's doing that as as the fourth receiver he's i don't know the nfl has ever seen a team with four or 500 yard receivers on it. And, and, and you have to keep is, mind, he would have to supersede the tight ends as well. Well, and, and I'm actually glad you mentioned that. Cause what I was just going to say, and I, I really do love this question um, because Deskridge is a really interesting kind of thought experiment. And 
here's here's another way that I think he can justify it because if I were to rank him among the Seattle position group players, you know, he's behind both the running backs, he's behind three receivers, and he's behind at least two of the tight ends, I think. Certainly at least one of them. Mm -hmm. And so now we're talking about eighth or ninth on the totem pole when it comes to the skill position players. You know, his opportunity really came when those ranks were a lot thinner, when it was just DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as, you know, real dudes who demand targets when the tight end room was thinner, you know, and when the running back room was thinner, like that's the time when, when you're leaning on DJ Dallas, you know, for some third down work, be nice to have a guy like, like Eskridge out there. I think one other way that or you Travis can justify, Homer, of, course. of course, well, I yeah, mean, good luck out, good luck outperforming. That was, that was, outperforming that that was guy. implicit. I get it. I get yeah, it. of course that was assumed, but you know, I think that another way that he can have a quote unquote successful impact this season is to have enough splash plays when he's out there that defenses are forced to account for him. Right now, if you were to just put him out there, I don't think defenses are going to be too worried about him. And and they'll just let whoever is in his zone or whoever happens to have his assignment take him. But if he can have a couple of Percy Harvin-type plays on jet sweeps or screen passes or, or a wheel route or something, if he puts film on tape that defensive coordinators like, hey, when Eskridge is out there, we need to account for him, then you're opening up things for other guys and and you can make the offense more dangerous that way. That's exactly the point that I was, uh, that I had in mind when I mentioned, you know, a high yards per completion or a high yards right. per touch number, yep. because even if the opportunities are limited, what are you doing with those opportunities? Like at the end of the season last year, we saw Derek young get on the field and in that final Rams game, I think he had like three touches and they were all first downs or something like that like 12 yards per touch nothing spectacular but getting it done when called upon and I, I really think that that is probably the definition of success making the most of what they're giving you the opportunities that you're provided if he can be David Moore or Chris Matthews David or Moore is the perfect the Jaron perfect Brown guy. yep yeah exactly yeah. the guy that you know you might only get 40 targets this year but if you can catch 25 of them for you know, 300 yards and score a couple times. That's meaningful. Yep, definitely. All right, let's move on to another uh, another question on Instagram from uh, our boy Patton. Uh, Patton says, Patton. all the Vegas lines have been released for the 2023 season. Does anything jump out at you? And Patton notes that the Seahawks are five and a half point favorites versus the Rams. <laughs> oh, he's talking. He's talking week one opening lines. Yes. Oh man. Yes. Uh, it this Patton. This is irresponsible. <laughs> this is this is irresponsible radio. First of uh, all, how I, dare you? <laughs> I can't. I I can't speak on week one opening lines. Uh, five and a half favorites against the Rams is absolutely fair on paper. There is no chance that they beat the Rams by five and a half points. They've never done it since McVay showed up. They're not going to do it now. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that game's actually going to be fucking miserable. That's going to be a pucker fest for sure. Yeah. I think Seattle probably wins it, but it's going to be some 16 to 12 bullshit. But uh, because you know, the Rams that, that, just don't field an NFL caliber defense right now. <laughs> right. Like, look at look at that barren wasteland of oh, a depth Tyler, chart. Uh, Tyler Higby had had a quote the other day because he like attended rookie camp 
and you know just kind of watch the guys and like i don't know help coach them up or whatever and he was like this is half of our team <laughs> like, like they're you know i i think they only have like 40 dudes under contract from last year and they have 90 in camp so yeah i, I don't know but you know what that does make me think about like pull them up real quick uh we do have some win loss over unders that are out and this is something i i think even though this is still a little premature um i think this is something i could speak to a little bit so some lines that i like early on you know the the team that they give the lowest uh over unders to in terms of total wins are usually sucker bets but arizona cardinals at five and a half wins i just i can't see a world where they win six games this year so i'll probably i'll probably hammer that under um you know, the Jets opened up at eight and a half wins. They're up to nine and a half wins. Um, I, I think that division is too good. I think the Patriots are going to be a lot better now that they actually have a real offensive coordinator. I think the Dolphins are really, really good. I think the Bills are one of the five best teams in the NFL. I, I think 10 wins is going to be really, really hard to come by there. Um, I think the Eagles are the best team in the NFL, um, just top to bottom. And Theirs is at 10 and a half. I think 11 and six is extremely reasonable for them. The Seahawks, for what it's worth, their over-under is at eight and a half. So they just need to be as good as they were last year from win-loss perspective to beat that. Uh, I feel pretty good about that one as well. And I think I think in that, I don't know. I, I don't see the Titans winning eight games. They're at seven and a half. I just, I just don't see that either. The, the way that uh, our brains have processed Malik Willis from a year ago to now. <laughs> I know. It's quite I, the shift. Sh- quite the shift. We're, we're sitting there at nine. Do they take him? Should they yeah, take him? Oh, sitting there at 41. Do they take him? <laughs> it's Will Levis time. Malik Willis. Yeah. You know what? Let's let's do this real quick. Let's, let's look at the teams just in the Seahawks division. And Mike, you tell me over under what you think we got cardinals a five and a half yeah I, I'm, I'm probably with you at the under i think they have the best shot at the number one overall pick and by virtue of them having the texans pick the number two overall pick also oh my gosh i know yeah. you know the two lowest projected win totals are both five and a half and it's great the cardinals and the texans awesome. and the cardinals have both those picks man that's wild all right rams over under seven and a half My uh, head says under, my heart says over because McVeigh's a demon and I'll, I'll never trust it until I see it. That's like, that's like the triple tap. You need to like kill them thrice before I believe they're dead. You know? Yeah. They're, they're winning eight games for sure. They're winning. It's going to, it's <laughs> going to happen. It's going to happen. Like yeah. they're going to, there's going to be some, some evil if they're shit healthy, that they're still, yeah. Yeah. Stafford is still awesome. Cup is incredible acres came on super strong last year they're going to score some points they're not going to be nearly as injured as they were last year aaron donald still arguably the best player on the defensive side of the ball it's, that's good enough to win eight games yeah all right what are the niners at and the 49ers are at 11 and a half sharing with the chiefs for the highest and the Bengals actually for the highest uh over under NFC's weak. They don't have a quarterback. Well, they have three quarterbacks, but you don't know which one of them. Right. Three quarterbacks uh, that add up to one quarterback. The under center. Exactly. I'm going to go over. Oh, man. 
12 wins, 12 and five is that's it's hard to do, man. They're they're gonna have the first place schedule. You know, you win your division, you that's get a all good the line. other division. See, that's it's a good it's line. A good line. I'm like, I'm taking you know. I'm taking the under. I, I I think 11 is the number. I think 11 yeah. is the number. I won't be shocked. And let's see what are how's it weighted? Okay, so right now the money looks to be strong on the under it's it's minus 155 on the under it's plus 135 so if you think they're going to win 12 games you'll get a 35 percent return on top of your initial uh investment if that hits so uh right now the market is is feeling the under but am i going to be surprised if they go 13 and four not really that's, won't even be that exactly. shocked if they win 14 games i mean they're so good that roster is so good yep. but i i I, I I don't know. I I think, you know, I put them in the Eagles right there. I think the Eagles were better last year at full strength. Um, I think they were winning that NFC championship game, even if Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt. And, and so it's easier for me to see them getting the number one seed. And I, I think if you're exceeding 11 wins, you're, you're gonna have a real good shot at the number one overall seed. The question from Patton about that five and a half, uh, Point line Seahawks over Rams uh, reminds me of a few years ago. Uh, you and I were chatting at the time. I'm not one to make uh, sports bets all that often. Uh, in fact, I have <laughs> that's healthy uh, made three. I've made three in my life, and uh, until I took the Warriors Kings money line um, in Game Five, I think it was the one that Harrison Barnes missed the <laughs> shot at the buzzer to lose. Um, I was undefeated, uh, but the first of those, the first of those was a Seahawks Cardinals game a few years ago in December it was in Seattle, this. in Seattle, and the Seahawks uh-huh. were thirteen and a half point favorites. And I remember texting you, and I was like. I think I'm going to bet against the Seahawks here. <laughs> and what do you know? Yeah. It was a disgusting, rainy game at uh, at Century. Stone Lake. cold lock, man. It was a guarantee that they were going to uh, lose against the spread, and then they fucking lost outright. <laughs> they, it was the they game where Kyler Col- got hurt, McCoy, too. right? <laughs> no, I, no, I think it was yeah. the game where Kyler got hurt and Brett Hundley came in. It was the Brett Hundley revenge game, Oh, if, I, if I'm remembering oh, this correctly. Man. So... Yeah, nice, uh, nice little easy dub. We we talked about how irresponsible Patton's question was in the first place. It is irresponsible to make the Seahawks a two touchdown favorite over any team, any team. All right, let's move on to this question from Raul Alvarez. Raul asks, "Who will lead the Hawks in sacks this year, and will they reach over 10? Ooh, Raul coming in with the heat. Let's see. Leader last year was Inwosu. And what do you have? Inwosu and Taylor both had nine and a half. They both had nine and a half. I got to think Inwosu's the favorite. I I think a 10 sack season from him is is an outlier. I'll be pretty surprised if anybody's got 10 sacks. I think think your top candidates for that are Inwosu, Taylor, of course, right? Um, His his come in bunches. And then I, you know, if, if I was betting on this, I'd probably take a flyer on Jamal Adams. I think he is going to be an in the box safety. If he stays healthy, we've seen him do it before. Um, and then I don't know, man, Derek Hall, (laughs) I mean, I could see it, but no, I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a 10 sack guy. The hot take uh, that I had brewing when I read this question 
was that uh, Kobe Bryant was going to break Jamal Adams' sack record for a DB and end up with 10 and a half. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be awesome. You know, honestly, man. It's definitely not going to happen. If you, but, watch, if you watch Devin Witherspoon's tape, that dude is an absolute maniac when they sent him. Like, I mean, true, you know, you, you hear defensive players called heat-seeking missiles all the time, and it's like you hear that after a guy makes a big play. You watch that dude's tape. I mean, he is magnetically drawn to the ball at an insane pace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that uh, that brings us into the next question from Kevin Sylvie. Kevin asks, how do you see Woolen's knee procedure affecting their plans uh, in the secondary? And uh, that's a piece of news that we got today that Tariq Woolen had a minor procedure to clean things up, but he should be ready in time for training camp. So what are you what are you thinking on that? That was an unsettling tweet to see. It that. was. And, and apparently, you know, uh, a lot of the initial response was, why is he waiting? You know, if he was hurt, why is he waiting till now to have it done? But it sounds like it happened on the practice field, um, kind of in between drills. And so maybe there was something that was there before they got tweaked and this brought their attention to it. I, I don't know a lot of the details. It sounds like it's a pretty minor procedure. You know, the Artie Burns signing probably helps there a little bit. I do think they have depth there to cover Tariq if for some reason this uh, is a slower recovery, but I'm, I'm hoping it's a non-issue. You know, it sounds like it's a five to six week type recovery deal. Um, he's not trying to earn a spot on the team anymore, so I think they can really protect him, and I think they're going to, but drafting Devin Witherspoon and re-signing Artie Burns and already having Kobe Bryant and, you know, uh, some other talent there, some depth there. I think they'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, you've got depth in Michael Jackson, Trey Brown. You've got all these guys around. It's totally one of, if not their deepest uh, position on the roster. So um, it's rough, but, uh, I mean, it seems like everything went according to plan. He should be back in time by training camp. And if not, you have the depth to accommodate that if things take a little bit longer. So Totally. All right. Uh, next one comes in from Rick Judd at Rick Judd 21 Rick asks, which rookie or year two player do you think gets a C first? And by C, I believe Rick means Whoa. a captain's patch on the jersey. Rick Judd. Great question, man. All right. Um, Charles Cross. Okay. I think I think left tackle I think left tackle is one of those captain positions. That's you know there's there's a lot of left tackles that have been that dude for their team. And, you know, whether it's, you know, in Seattle, we've, we've seen it obviously uh, with Walter Jones, Dwayne Brown, you know, you look at guys like Trent Williams. I mean, these are, we've talked about it before on this show, man. A lot of times, if you had to send out one dude from your team to go win a fight yep. against one dude from the other team, you're probably sending out your left tackle. Like, yep. That is, that's the baddest dude on a lot of teams. So given how well he played as a rookie, probably him. And then, man, you got a second guy? Yeah, I mean, the Seahawks just brought in this uh, this guy that seems like he'll play with force. This guy, his name's, I think, Bobby Wagner. Um, <laughs> seems like an impressive Impressive yeah. guy has a lot of leadership qualities that you would look for. I guess if he counts as a year one guy, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I I think uh, you know 
Rob Staten uh, has mentioned this a lot, and all of the uh, all of the quotes that have come out um, from coaches at Auburn and high school and all of the above. Derek Hall seems to be a yeah. guy that is laying in wait to assume a huge leadership vacancy in that locker room when the time comes. Yeah, I like he just, that call. He has that it factor. He's you know, we've talked about it. he was really productive in the SEC. He was commanding that locker room. His coaches speak so highly of him. I could absolutely see him stepping up to to take that mantle at some point. Yeah, I, I, I like that call. You know, one of the guys that I really fell in love with in the pre-draft process was Nolan Smith. Uh, it was a defensive end out of Georgia, and he ended up going number 30 overall to the Eagles, which, of course, he did. Fucking Eagles. But Derek Hall was only seven picks later. Philadelphia Bulldogs. Yeah, man. And I didn't, I wasn't paying a ton of attention to Derek Hall leading up to the draft. But of course, after the Seahawks took him, you you start to dig in and you start to read articles about the kid and the way his coaches and teammates talked about him. And then you look at how he actually plays and you look at his tape. And yeah, I mean, that's the type of guy that, I mean, Nolan Smith. That, that was kind of the thing is like this dude can come in and be the captain immediately. And I think there's a lot of echoes of that in Derek Hall. So that one's probably not a good call, Mike. All right. Next one is coming in from Seattle Teachers Burner at C Teacher. Shouts to C Teacher. Uh, C oh, teacher I love this asks, guy. <laughs> C Teacher asks, if you had to have one, which Seahawk do you want on your fantasy team this year? And what round would you take them in? Whoa. Okay. Um, that's a great question. I, I think it's DK Metcalf. Um, I just, I just think he's, he's a guy where his, his price is probably pushed down a little bit by the JSN draft pick, but he might see fewer targets this year than he has the last few, but I think there'll be better targets because we saw all last season defenses just shade over the top of him. And when you're not afraid of a slot receiver, you can do that. You can cheat half a man over the top of DK Metcalf. And that's why we saw his a dot, his average depth of target be so low is teams just like, he's just not going to get behind us, but you can't do that. If Jackson Smith and Jigba is just getting open all the time. And so I, I think we're going to see much higher leverage targets uh, from Metcalf and it'll be enough to, make up any loss in in volume but right behind him you know i think ken walker is still going to be excellent i mean walker was a top 10 fantasy running back on a per game basis last year and assuming full health i see no reason he can't do that again and then every year the absolute most undervalued dude in fantasy football is tyler lockett yeah yeah yeah. every year he's the top 15 (laughs) guy so i mean I think all three of those, I think Gino is going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback. I think he was QB six last year. I mean, Seattle's got some, Seattle's got some options, but uh, if I could only have one Seahawk on my team, considering what they're going to go for, um, I think DK is the guy. That's a huge upset that you would have chosen him as your answer. I can't believe this. My God, what is the world coming to? Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say Tyler Lockett because he just seems perennially undervalued. Um, seems to be a trend with uh, you're going to be able to get Lockett in like the Seattle seventh or eighth round, right? Yeah, yeah. you're going to you're going to get Tyler Lockett for like nine bucks in your auction. It's yep. it's going to probably best return on the investment. You're probably right. Yep. 
uh, under the radar, under the radar, uh, Pickup could be Abe Lucas, you know, uh, with uh, the history that George Fant has set, the precedent that he has right. uh, set. You know, yep. they love to send their right tackles out on routes every so often. So, sleeper, sleeper, keep that in mind. Yeah, if you're if you're in a PPP league, point per pancake, <laughs> then uh, you know, I think you could do a lot worse than Abe Lucas. That's right. Uh, and then another another quick one from a C teacher. Uh, They've been uh, tweeting a lot about um, the departure of one Travis Homer, uh, RIP. Um, and Oof. C Teacher asked if Zach Charbonnet can fill the Travis Homer size hole uh, in my heart. And the answer to that is maybe, but probably not because the jersey number. The jersey number is really bad, Jackson. 26, I don't love that. I think the pick might be bad yeah. specifically because of the jersey number. Twenty six is a rough one, man. It's bad, but but the thing That's about tough. the thing about the filling that void is usually it's a later round guy, and you know I've got my uh, I've got my alarm bells ringing on uh, Kenny McIntosh um, because I don't know totally. if you've seen, I don't know if you've totally. seen the the pass pro film, but it is. It's electric and oh yeah, when he was at the Senior Bowl and he was like picking up linebackers. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's nasty. But you can't you can't force you can't force this. You know you have to let these later round gems come to you. You can't have, you can't go you, searching. Where where are you at in your grieving process? I'm about two months away from acceptance. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you know you know still as denial. soon as still you, you know as soon as I've Macintosh as soon as as soon as Macintosh catches a wheel route for a 40 yard touchdown in the fourth quarter of the third preseason game you're yeah. going to be in. I'm still mourning CJ Procise. So I mean this this is a process oh, I need man, to me too. He was my guy. Yeah. Yeah, he was my guy. I remember you wrote like a whole column on field goals just you know drooling over the potential after they drafted. Oh him. man, I totally and and I I still to this day he's like he's like Duke Johnson for me where I'm just like yep. the NFL was wrong about this guy I mean granted oh he got hurt God. a bunch but whatever but but whenever the ball was in his hands it was like it was kind of like how Rashad Penny was for the first few years yep. couldn't stay on the field but when when he did it was like this guy's really fucking good at football yeah thanks for that just ripping <laughs> open an old scab that's right there was that final uh, preseason that he was uh, in seattle before they let him go precise that is and uh it was against like the raiders or something and he had like 80 yards or something but he had he looked silky smooth you know that like gliding running oh, style that he had and it it looked totally. like cj Procise, and it was like oh my god it's happening and then just like like broke his clavicle yeah. or something and it was just immediately over and then that was the yeah. end of the line. it was just yeah he had a game against the eagles where he had like 140 yards and it was just like yep this is this <laughs> it's is like a 78 yard touchdown on like the first touch of the game just unbelievable yeah yeah wow name some guys uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> next one. The final question of the day comes from Tim Schwiesau. Um, Tim, please forgive me if I pronounce that incorrectly. Uh, it's all lowercase and yeah. Let, let us know if we got that word. word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please forgive me, anybody, if I have botched your names. All right, Tim asks. All right, take us home, Tim. Trying to have a realistic outlook. What's the optimistic outcome for the twenty-three season in Seattle? I think the most optimistic outcome within like the real 
range of expectations yep. is the NFC Championship game. Okay. I think I think that's that's maybe not their 1% outcome. I think you play the season out 100 times, they probably get to the Super Bowl once or twice. But I think that they get to the NFC Championship game between 5 and 10 times. I I, I think that that is something that could really happen. Um, and, and here's why. I think that there's only two teams in the NFC that are definitely better than them and three that I'm like pretty confident are better than them. Top two, of course, being the 49ers and the Eagles. I think the Cowboys are right in that next year kind of by themselves. But after that, your contenders in the conference are the Lions, the Vikings. Um, I mean, probably not the Packers. The Giants. Yeah, I don't. I just I don't see it with the Giants. I really don't. It's all underwhelming. I'm with you. Yeah, man. I, I think Seattle's a top four or five team in the conference. And so, you know, if you're a top four team, you should get to the second round of the playoffs and then you steal a win on the road there you're in the NFC championship game. It, it could happen. Yeah. I, I think if they pulled that off, that would be an insanely successful season given the age of this team and where they're at with their development. And I tell you, if they do that, they are going to be on the short list of Super Bowl contenders the following year because everything about them is trending up right now. So, so then how do they get to that point? I mean, outside of, you know, you've, you've got guys that you expect to perform well, Gino and Ken Walker and DK and Lockett and the two tackles. And, you know, you're expecting Quandre Diggs to still be good and Tariq Woolen and Devin Witherspoon and, you know, and get what, if you get what you got from Taylor and Wosu last year, get some rookies to contribute, you know, all of that stuff puts them in position. I think the two real big fulcrum players that can like genuinely substantially raise this team ceiling are Jamal Adams and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yep. I think if we get the best version of those two guys, Seattle can be a top three team in the conference. To reach the NFC Championship game, though, I think you're going to need some help with seeding where somehow you end up with the Eagles and the 49ers playing each other in the second round because I, I just don't see Seattle as currently constructed beating either of those teams on the road in January. I just don't. So you're saying they have to win the division to get to that point? I think so. I I think that's the most likely permutation. And, and I think that only happens if, you know, tragedy continues to befall the 49ers quarterback position, because I think if you go position group by position group with the Eagles and the 49ers against the Seahawks, it's the gap becomes pretty evident pretty quickly. The 49ers are no stranger to tragedy. So mm-hmm. may, that may be a good bet for you. It could be, could be. I think that wraps it up, my friend. Okay. Well, I got to say, man, every time we do this, I'm really, really impressed with uh, the questions that come in today. No exception. Thank you, everyone who sent your questions in. For those who did and we didn't get a chance to get to them, uh, apologies. But uh, next time we do this, may, make sure you submit again because we love this stuff, man. I Like I said, top of the show, these, these are among my favorite shows. And honestly, any chance I get to pull Mike onto some more airtime is always good for me. Good for the brand. Good for the show. So yeah, man, a great show, man. I, I had fun doing this with you, Mike. Right back at you, my friend. Okay. That does it for today. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's at J A C S O N B E V E N S. Remember that no K is okay. When spelling my name, Mike is on Twitter at, at Mike Barwin. The show itself is at cigar thoughts. 
can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL. It was awesome to see the engagement on IG from y'all today. Uh, we're on TikTok as well at, at Cigar Thoughts. We're on YouTube at, at Cigar Thoughts. That's a big one. Please be checking us out there. That helps us out a lot. And we're also on Facebook at Cigar Thoughts, a football show. Of course, you can listen to the show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out cigarthoughtsnfl.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. When you buy these cigars, let us know on Twitter or Instagram. Hit us up with a pic. Tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. As I say every week, we know you only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.